0: Hello, I do trust that you've had a fantastic week since we spoke last week on Tuesday. Welcome to another weekly edition of the Africa Climate Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bridging climate communication gaps in Africa. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. We are still talking about pollution, this time looking into urban cities. As you know, Africa is home to the world's youngest and fastest growing population. Rapidly urbanizing, the continent's 1.1 billion citizens are projected to double in number by 2050, with more than 80% of this increase happening in cities. So today, I have invited Dr. Lawrence Eshaw, a professor of spatial planning at the Technical University of Kenya and a practicing urban regional planner. We are talking about Nairobi city planning and impacts on pollution over the years. Dr. Esho, welcome to the show. Kindly tell us who Dr. Esho is.
1: As you heard, my name is Lawrence Esho. I'm a professor of special planning at the Technical University of Kenya. I'm also a practicing spatial planner, alternate names being a physical planner, urban and regional planner, or land use planner. I'm also a researcher in all fields, urban and regional planning, but mostly the area I've majored mostly in is on urban informality, Mm. and then, of course, infrastructure planning.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Esho, for joining us. I appreciate your time. Mm. Now, we've been speaking about air pollution, basically, and so I want us to start looking to urban issues and urban areas, basically. Because then again, when you look into development, African cities are rapidly developing. But I just want us to look into Nairobi in itself and the capital city of Kenya, just to understand its planning from colonial times to where we are. And maybe the best place to start is with you giving us a history of Nairobi itself as a city, where we've come from, and where we are at this particular point.
1: The starting point of uh, a discussion on the planning of Nairobi is uh, the inception of the city itself, when it was created uh, with the coming of colonialism. And of course, Nairobi became a place once the railway station reached here. So the initial capital was Machakos, and then when the railway reached Nairobi, they found this site as a suitable site for establishing. A capital city, mm. you may be aware that, of course, they were using the 100-milestone. So, the urbanization corridor really is on the road from Mombasa to Malaba. Mm. And on average, you have 100 miles uh, between one major town and the other. 100 miles is about 160 kilometers. Mm. And even in the interior away from that corridor, we still have 100 miles. So, for instance, Nyeri is about 150 kilometers from Nairobi, the same with uh, Naro, about 150 kilometers, Nairobi, 170 kilometers. So that was uh, sort of the regional kind of planning template. Nairobi itself, the initial plan of the city was done by railway engineers somewhere about 1906. Basically, all the land that you see the CBD occupying was railway land all the way up to about Norfolk. And therefore, initially, that was meant for railway facilities. Like shunting yards, storage facilities, and all that. Yeah. But with time, then, uh, when the colonial government saw this as a suitable site, they managed to convince the company to cede the land to the colonial administration for purposes of planning and uh, construction of a commercial center. Then, of course, automatically, then, uh, we got the CBD that we have become accustomed to all the way up to what they used to call the Ainswap Bridge, which is the bridge that meets the National Museums of Kenya. And of course, the railway was the southernmost extent of the, of the CBD, and then Uhuru Park to the west, and then Nairobi River uh, to the east. Since then, Nairobi has gone through successive attempts at planning. Uh, there was a 1926 plan, which was the, the initial plan for extension of the city into various parts and then there was the 1948 plan and then there was the 1971 plan the 1948 plan was the master plan for colonial capital in 71 is nairobi metropolitan growth strategy which most of the construction works going on now particularly of the bypasses are actually implementations of that plan so the, whether it is the eastern bypass, northern bypass, the western bypass, southern bypass, all those were roads that uh, were planned during that period. But I think because of lack of finances, it was not uh, possible then to, for them to be achieved at the time. Yeah, There was no major planning initiative as you would consider it, mm-hmm. in the sense that people have sat down and then uh, discussed how the, the city is going to be planned but often we consider the planning done by the guy who was called mayor magic to be some kind of plan okay okay because a plan for the regeneration of nairobi then the most recent plan for the city of course is the nairobi integrated urban development yeah. uh, plan mm. and that is what is currently being implemented by the city authorities Prior to that, there was, of course, in uh, 2010, what was called the Nairobi Metropolitan Special Planning Concept for the Nairobi Metropolitan Area. But it was just a concept which was going to inform the detailed planning of Nairobi. And uh, there was a plan, the winning entry uh, was the, the company that won the, the competition, it was given a chance to develop a more detailed plan, which actually happened. But Significantly, the most significant plan on the city of Nairobi really is the 1948 plan. The structure of the city as we know it now is the structure created in the 1948 plan.
0: Yeah. And
1: this plan was, as you can hear a guess from the name, master plan for a colonial capital. Mm. So I think it was at the time when uh, the white man thought that finally they made up their mind that this would be their permanent home. So they had to plan the capital in such a way. But it was basically a segregation plan. The main consideration being racial segregation. It was planned by three people, an architect, an engineer, and a sociologist. Okay. So the whole question of how different groups were to relate became very important. Mm. But um, the most visible element in that plan is the very lavish provision for green spaces,
0: mm. So,
1: which were not due to environmental considerations per se, But it was the the need to segregate various functions in the city and various communities, mostly communities. These were South African planners, so you would understand that in South Africa, they used things like the railway reserve, road reserve, to buffer different uh, settlements. Here in Nairobi, because of the landscape, which is very different from the South African landscape, which is mostly flat. Ours is a bit hilly uh, and undulated terrain, so we have a lot of river valleys. And that gave a natural uh, buffer that then they were to use to segregate different settlements. Mm. For us, then that becomes an advantage that accidentally, from an environmental sense, Nairobi becomes this very green city, which is usually called the green city in the sun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Much of those green corridors have been eaten away because uh, on the one side of on the southern and eastern side of Nairobi, they've been heavily encroached upon by informal settlements. Squatter settlements, uh, but they remain very much intact on the northern extents of the city. Not the periphery, of course, but the, the inner core of the city, at least uh, as per the current boundaries of the city. You can still see those green corridors up to this day. The legacy of segregation has been uh, replaced by a legacy of uh, social economic segregation, in other words, uh, social structure. So hierarchy. We now have class as the main element that defines how it occupy different parts of, of, of the city space. But it's not coerced, it's just that uh, the structure of the economy determines where one goes depending on ability mm-hmm. and where one goes. Infrastructure has also been a major determinant, of course, as you are aware, that the main spine of the city is the Highway. and um, Nairobi, every road stems from Uguru Highway radiates out from Uru, mm. so in the morning everybody comes into the city and in the evening everybody's struggling to leave the city yeah. of course the bypasses were first constructed as a way to divert that traffic away from the city center they don't seem to have worked very well uh, and therefore these attempts uh, the latest attempt—is to build the expressway which is elevated uh, above the original road so that then uh, that traffic uh, in, congestion that we used to experience. Hopefully, that congestion can cease. Let's give it a few months when the expressway is open, then we can see whether it have worked or not. Now, from
0: 1973, we don't seem to have another master plan that actually has been implemented until we came to the, the Nairobi Integrated Urban Development Plan. And so when you look legal, yeah. there was a gap, because the the metropolitan... There was a huge gap. Yeah, the 1973 master plan expired in 20, 2003. So between 2003, mm-hmm. we have a whole 11-year gap before even when our mm-hmm. government started thinking, you know, let's come up with another plan. Within this time, that's when we, you remember seeing a lot of, you know, tall, high-rise building coming up anywhere in terms of zones that were actually basically from some of the metropolitan areas mm-hmm. that were agricultural land. We still seeing apartments coming up from there. Areas that were single housing instead of single apartments. Talk us through mm-hmm. the changes that happened within that period of time that Nairobi did have a plan and the pollution impact that that has actually had.
1: I think you need to look at the period that Nairobi didn't have a plan uh, all the way from 1973 because mm-hmm. having a plan is of completely no use if it's not implemented. So even though the plan was there and it wasn't implemented, it was as good as not having a plan.
0: So you're saying that Uh, in 1973 we basically were operating without a plan?
1: We we were not implementing the one we had, so it's as good as not having a plan in the first place. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I I want to try and put this in context. eh? One, Mm -hmm. yes, our city was growing on the one hand, but not as fast as it grew in the last 20 years,
0: Mm.
1: okay, because of several factors. One. Um, land had not come into the market as a commodity for exchange. So for very many years, land was owned by the state. Uh, You had to apply for a plot, uh, demonstrate that you have the money Mm. to to build, to put up a building in that plot, and then you would be given the plot. And even many people who are located land at that time never still constructed. So the rate of urban growth uh, was not as fast as it has been for over the last 20 years or so, or let's say 20, 25 years or so. So perhaps then the urgency to plan was not so much there, because you remember uh, the Africans were then just coming to the city from 1963 Mm. with the removal of the restrictions. Uh, Mm -hmm. You you know the Kipande that you have now? Yes, yes. Was what was used in the past to allow you to get into the city or not.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: then then also (sighs) pesanane. Mm -hmm. was the amount of money you needed to demonstrate if you're walking on the streets that that you are useful to the urban sphere. Mm. So when those restrictions were removed, of course, Africans flooded into the city. But of course, the 1948 plan and the 1973 plan of expansion of the city were able to absorb a lot of this population. Mm. Now, then the second one is we didn't have a proper planning legislation all this time. There was the Town Planning Ordinance, which was an old piece of legislation, I think, dating back to the 40s. There was the Land Planning Act, which also did not prioritize the urban. And it was only 1996, that then we had the Physical Planning Act enacted. And it created the need to prepare different types of plans. Mm -hmm. And it provided us with a legal framework for the preparation of those plans and approval of the same but um the third reason the emasculation of municipal governments you remember when the nairobi city commission was established and it replaced the nairobi city council
0: Mm.
1: so it ushered in two decades or so of national government control of the affairs of running a city Mm
0: -hmm. so unless
1: national government said prepare a plan you you didn't prepare a plan so the urban administrations were emasculated so they were not uh-huh. uh, able uh, you didn't have people who were accountable to the people okay yes okay. there were councillors there yeah uh, but the nairobi city commission didn't have councillors, so they were not accountable to people they were accountable to the to the state okay. and if the state had no interest in deliberations about how the city should be planned and how it should be developed then the commission likewise did not bother with with such difficult uh, assignments so as a result then we see a period in which even though the city grew but mm-hmm. illegal developments yeah. not plan-led development mm-hmm. there was no attempt at city planning and even mayor magic when he came in he more or less focused on things like landscaping creating of boulevards maybe collecting the garbage in the city and he had a broad conversation of the Nairobi we want what kind of city do we want but there was no plan that came out of that that season Mm. so we Mm. continued planning incrementally so small bits and pieces so even the rezoning of parts of Nairobi were done using sometimes using part development plans or very segmented plans so there was no wholesome thinking about uh, how the city should develop as a whole Mm. okay so those are some of the reasons where I think we failed. Of course, the last 20 years when the land land now was unbundled into, into the market and land became a commodity of its own, regardless of what was on it. So land then started appreciating in value. And people started buying land and investing in the same in the same land. Mm. Since 2000, with the coming of the NARC government or the post Moi era, the economy attracted a lot of foreign investment in urban areas, particularly in Nairobi, mm. in the real estate sector, whether housing, whether office space, whether hospitality industry, and that triggered a construction boom in the city. But unfortunately, we didn't even go back to the 1973 plan and say, can we now revise the plan? Uh, depending on the realities of today and whether we still need those bypasses to be where they are because yeah. the bypasses were overtaken they are no longer bypasses they are actually ring roads of some kind or yeah. um, urban arterials assisting to carry traffic that is destined for nairobi rather than Destined away from Nairobi.
0: Interesting. Can we talk about the pollution aspect now? Because then again, we have industries. Of course, we have high-rise buildings that are generating water wastewater. Um, we have a sewer system. Does our sewer system is it capable of handling? the development that we now see in terms of both residential and industrial and in terms of also our waste management system is it able to handle the kind of population that we actually have
1: i think for pollution maybe i can start with the least both of them all all. although um, you would have expected that we will be very concerned about it that is air pollution yeah The assumption always is that Nairobi is very polluted in the air, but uh, I think there was a UN study that discovered that Nairobi has some of the cleanest air uh, amongst the national capitals. eh? Mm -hmm. And it boils down to one thing, we really don't have as many vehicles as we think we do. The volume of traffic that goes through our roads is not that much. It looks Mm -hmm. like it's a lot because then our highway systems and our um, urban traffic thoroughfares are not well-conceived. So there are so many bottlenecks, and therefore we are not able to move vehicles as, as much as we would. Of course, the fact that traffic is slow in the city, the slower the traffic, the more polluting it is. When you're driving a vehicle at fifth gear, the amount of pollution is much less compared to when you're driving it on first gear. So when vehicles are stagnant on the street, they emit more emissions. That is not to suggest that there is not much pollution in the city of Nairobi, but compared to other global cities of its size, yeah. Nairobi's air is relatively clean. Mm. If you go to China right now, smog will mm. completely prevent you from seeing. If you're on mm. top of a 50-floor building, you're not able even to see the city's panorama and appreciate how beautiful mm. the city's skyline is. You will not be able to see yeah. So when it comes to air pollution, I think we are also very lucky that most of the carbon emitted by vehicles is absorbed by the many green spaces that we have in the city. So yes, Nairobi is a green city in the sun, and and that helps the green, of course, trees take in carbon, uh, so they act as carbon sinks. So we must be able to preserve as many urban forests that we have in Nairobi as possible, and we have to preserve the riparian areas, riparian forests. us to be continue getting that benefit so Mm -hmm. more or less our air is clean the problem comes when it comes to sewage and solid waste disposal we have not built up the capacity to collect our garbage and handle it uh, in in terms of treating or recycling and and all that Mm -hmm. the volumes that we are now generating it's more the lack of proper handling rather than that we are producing so much remember Kenyans are not consuming. We are not, urban residents do not have a lot of disposable income. Mm. And therefore, we are not consuming processed foods from our supermarkets. Therefore, we have a lot of packaging material. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, even though the volumes that we're generating are not that high, but mm. we have an inability uh, when it comes to a shortcoming when it comes to proper handling of this thing. So, when you look around, there's indiscriminate dumping, which is a cultural issue you drink your soda and then you throw out the bottle without thinking that you're actually dirtifying the very environment that you you want to live in and you would rather that it's clean. Mm -hmm. So that's a major concern but I think if we were to put in place measures to allow for household sorting of waste, to allow for eradication of Mm non-biodegradable packaging materials, to promote recycling, which can translate into other materials, or we can generate energy through recycled incinerators and things like that. Mm. Sewage, the biggest problem with sewage is um, the network. Yeah. The capacity of the network is very low. It has not been upgraded. Areas that previously relied only on septic tanks, we have not seen any huge investments in infrastructure on that front. Uh, We're we are talking about Parklands, uh, Kilimani, Kilileshua, uh, Lovington. Milimani, Ngong Road, that whole area along Gong Road, even the areas that were seaward, like South B, South Sea, Lanata, are going high-rise, and yet yeah. there has not been commensurate investment in infrastructure in response of that vertical development, because hitherto the city was horizontal in its yeah. growth uh, trajectory. So people are building bungalows, maisonettes at most, but now we have gone to apartments. It's now in areas like Kilimani, now you find apartments going all the way up to 20 floors, going, we are heading towards 40. And uh, the more that continues, you can imagine the amount of sewage material that will generate. And yet we have not seen any huge breaking up of ground to lay sewage pipes. Another problem with the, when it comes to handling of the sewage is the natural disasters. Nairobi is on the foothills of the Abadaya Hills and therefore when it rains uphill, there's a lot of surface runoff that comes. Mm -hmm. That is further compounded by the fact that we are building each and every inch of space that we have in in the city. And therefore, the ability of the ground uh, to take in all this rainwater is simply being diminished. And as a result, there's more stormwater generated and -hmm. we don't have a lot of channels on how to channel that water to the few Mm -hmm. rivers that we have that uh, traverse the city. Mm. So that further complicates because when it rains that heavily, the sewers get flooded and then that water is released into our rivers. Mm. There's also the hazardous waste, like um, industrial waste. There's a lot of dumping of that industrial waste into our rivers. You only need to go to Arthi River, yeah. beyond Arthi River town. And if you take samples there, chemical samples, you'll mm-hmm. find a lot of trace elements in, in, in the water. Mm. showing that we have not developed a way to deal with with our waste
0: fantastic and i was actually listening to you speak and i'm thinking uh the nareme metropolitan services they're doing a lot of paving corridors and a lot of cabros the other day i was just walking in town and thinking if the cabros are laid, but left some small spaces where you can just plant yes. grass. And you know, when it rains, you can allow yes. that water to percolate into the ground. You know, yeah. I'm thinking of parking areas for these buildings coming up. One doesn't yeah. have to pave the entire parking area and stuff and areas yeah. that are not, yeah. you know, covered. You can actually just leave some spaces where you can just plant green. So when these flash floods come, then this water, instead of all of it trying to you know, compete, trying to find blocked sewer system and then Mm. stagnating and then becoming a problem for all of us, then maybe new developers can actually be thinking about that, you know, instead of paving everything, just leave some Mm. green areas where the water can just, you know.
1: There's always a tendency to do cosmetic interventions. Okay, we are grateful that Nairobi Metropolitan Services is, is, is actually working much, much more. If yeah. We would have gotten to the elections without seeing anything that county government would have done in terms of yeah. uh, mm. the interventions that were needed in this city. Mm. Uh, but as much as because I'm aware of course they've invested heavily in solid waste collection mm. services, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. They've yeah. invested heavily in water distribution uh, systems and then of course they are making life a bit more convenient for pedestrians by doing all these pavements and of course they are building new stations so that you yeah, can yeah, just see mm. by, by removing matatus away from the CBD. So all those yeah. interventions are, are, are good and, and they are laudable. But there is a lot that needs to be done that may not be on the surface. OK, so if you are ailing, if your kidney is not functioning or your arteries are blocked within your body, I may not be able to see if you're very neatly dressed. Mm. And perhaps that's what we are doing. We are dressing the city very well. So mm. from the surface, everything looks nice. But uh, underneath, the city is suffering. So I would have wanted to see huge investments in the area of Milimani, Kilimani, Kilineshwar, and Lovington. Because Mm. whether we like like it or not, uh, we've lost those areas. Uh, They're not going to come back as low-density residential areas. They're Mm. going to be high-rise, and the density is even going to go higher. So we should have been investing heavily on a sewer system to to remove that sewage. Uh, we should also be investing heavily in stormwater drains mm. uh, to assist when when you have flash floods and uh, heavy he- he- heavy rains. We should be investing heavily in NMT because you have uh, people stacked up in 40 floors of residential. The best way to move those people, you will not be able to have adequate parking for vehicles. So the best mm. way is to convince all these people to move into In the public transport. So you can invest in a beautiful, fancy BRT system in those areas so that you can get these guys off the roads. They can park their vehicles somewhere else and then they use them over the weekend to go out with family. But on a day-to-day basis, to to just move from from Yaya to town, why do you need a vehicle? You can either walk, ride your bike or take a bus and that will serve the purpose.
0: And and for us to finalize, so that we can finalize this conversation, because I keep feeling, yes, we have a lot to talk about, but unfortunately, the thing is that we have a lot of, you know, to have too much time. But, you know, we have decentralized, we have counties now. And I'm wondering, as a planner, have you seen a change? You know, have you seen, like, we probably have learned from the lack of plan in Nairobi, but now we have 47 counties. Um, Do you see a change, you know, in terms of planning for these towns, basically, that actually you know main areas that are coming
1: up i think devolution was one of the best things that happened Mm -hmm. for our country for the simple reason if devolution didn't happen nairobi will be twice its size now
0: Mm.
1: but because of devolution there's been a lot of investments redirected towards our county headquarters, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and uh, people are starting to move away from nairobi and move into those county headquarters or those who intended to move to nairobi are going to their county headquarters so in terms of Mm -hmm. population redistribution in the country. I think devolution will help us to ease the pressure of the major cities that were there before mm-hmm. and then assist uh, those county headquarters. If you have 47 cities growing, mm-hmm. it is better than having three or four, which was yeah. the case before. That is a change that I've seen, and I have hoped that um, if that trend continues, then some of the problems are decentralized. Of course, mm-hmm. we will export mm-hmm. some of the problems, but yeah. uh, mm-hmm. These are teething problems. It's only 10 years since devolution. Probably not being able to get good leaders in most of the counties. But for those counties that have good leaders, we've seen a change. For instance, if I mention one place, Makweni County, mm, yeah. Wote, before devolution was practically non existent. It was a small, sleepy town. And not to forget that Wote is, is not in the main development corridor, yeah. like Nakuru, for instance, yeah. it's, it's off that corridor. Mm. So for Wate to have attracted such investments and to be doing that well in terms of services to the people, it's mm. it's quite uh, commendable. But that boils down to good leadership, yeah, visionary leadership. Mm. So if we could elect good leaders into our counties, then I believe that, and, and, and there is now a refocusing to urban. You see there was silence first because we didn't have an urban the constitution doesn't mention the, the urban. Eh? And we prioritize creating laws for counties. It's only later that we created the Urban Areas and Cities Act. And uh, we, we no longer have elected officials in urban areas. We have urban management boards, which again, the problem is that they are appointed by county governments. Now, mm-hmm. if you are in a place like Nakuru and you get two cities, Naivasha and Nakuru, an and account. you have urban administrations, autonomous, running those places, meaning they collect their taxes. What will the county government have as revenue? Okay. So those are some of the considerations and the reluctance by governors to release those babies, those urban centers to be independent babies, is a, is a very big concern. But uh, again, like I say these are teething problems as we go okay. forward. If people start thinking more from through an economic lens than uh, I think there's hope for the country going forward. Yes.
0: But is there now planning? Like for example, a county is yes. starting to plan in terms of where yeah, everything yes. will be oh fantastic, yes. okay. For... Not not
1: not as much as we would like. Mm. So at the level of the county, they were supposed to prepare county special plans. So yeah, far, have, yeah. only mm. only four counties have approved county special plans over the last ten years. There are others that are in process but still the performance there is very low because that is the master plan for development for the entire county. Mm. It's a template to to orient development for the entire county space. All the counties are supposed to prepare for their big towns, urban area integrated uh, development plans. They've not been doing so, not so many have done so, although I must admit that counties have actually put quite a substantial amount of money into planning, which was not Mm. happening before. So mm. they are planning consultancies now to prepare plans for middle-level towns,
0: okay. uh,
1: secondary and, and tertiary level urban areas. Yes, I think planning has been given more prominence now mm. And, mm. and followed by budgetary allocations for that purpose. But that had to take a lot of convincing because uh, the county assemblies vote in the funds and they had a lot of difficulty understanding why a plan should cost so much money to do. They didn't look mm-hmm. at it in terms of the many stakeholder engagement processes that you have to engage in at the end of the day then that will lead to what they called only this book because they look at them as this book is costing so many millions yeah. it's not the book it's the entire process and the ideas within the book so i think yeah. the mcas are more and more appreciating the need to plan yeah. and uh, so the future the future is bright i would mm, say
0: fun Fantastic. and then, and then but
1: to add to add on that is the result. unlike the past where you will prepare plans and they stay on shelves no mm. nowadays mm. plans are implemented so there's also a lot of money budgeted for plan implementations so mm. in these county headquarters and other small towns is that attempt to pave streets arising from a planning process or to provide the uh, pavements to provide street lighting to build markets and those kinds of things so plans are finally getting resources for implementation which was not the case before
0: that is so great news to hear because implementation has been one of the things that we everyone has sure. been singing like well great plans but no implementation but it's so great yeah. to hear that yes. Yes. sure we have to end this conversation what is your advice what is your final word?
1: other than the hope that i have of a better mm-hmm. future mm-hmm. is that um, the priority areas that i think should be prioritized one is on uh, public open spaces, we need to Mm -hmm. increase the amount of public open spaces in our cities, particularly green spaces. These are land banks that um, will eventually become our carbon sinks, and because land has become so expensive, the earlier we make plans and acquire these lands for posterity, the better. Secondly, I think our African planning needs to move away from the colonial legacy of segregation and more in integration of urban functions and also a social mix so we should allow people of different uh, socioeconomic status to live side by side by the way when you have mixed use by the way mm. you minimize the reliance on transportation functional zoning is is not a good thing because industries nowadays are clean the reason why we yeah. segregated yeah. zones industrial areas separate from living area was because in industries were polluting those days yeah. but nowadays industries yeah. are more or less clean so we need to integrate housing into the industrial area so that traffic journeys are, are reduced we rely more on non-motorized transport means like walking and riding bicycles rather than uh, motorized means that that way at the end of the day then we reduce pollution yeah. of course the virtual world is a completely new thing and it's a, going to be a game changer in the urban scene we all work probably half of the time now from home. So that calls for architects to rethink the house, to design the house as a residence and as a workspace at the same time. Public spaces like hotels need to move towards more uh, accommodating both tasks. You can have your meal and work from the same space. So that's going to be a game changer. There is a virtual space that has been created, which is going to affect so much the office space sector, of course but uh, i think it's a welcome change because we travel less and less going
0: forward mm, absolutely thank you so much Asha. i really appreciate you coming on board today and thank you so much yes. and i look forward to speaking again and again um sure, especially sure. on this whole issue of cities because uh, we'll be speaking about cities and urban pollution for the next couple yes. of weeks
1: good thanks for having Our- me i've also enjoyed the conversation yeah. i think it's a conversation we cannot exhaust in an hour but we can keep talking Absolutely. don't don't hesitate to contact me when you need to do so and i'm Absolutely. glad you're still in this sector
0: yeah <laughs> yes okay. I, am. I am thank you so much great to see thank you today you. Thank yeah great thank to see you, you so too. all right okay bye. Bye. have bye. a lovely afternoon bye. All right. you too you too okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. Dr. Lawrence Esho, a professor of spatial planning at the Technical University of Kenya and a practicing urban regional planner. They're talking to us about Nairobi city planning and the impact it has had on pollution now please remember you can also listen to us on spotify google apple and every other podcast channel you access your other podcast from or better yet visit our website www.africaclimateconversations.com if you experience some challenges on any of these platforms please bear with us we are moving host if you do please feel free to let us know using info at africaclimateconversations.com or please just dm us on any of our social media pages now until next week on tuesday thank you so much for listening KwaHeri. my name is sophie Bogua.